This is an ABC podcast. Good morning. Welcome to AM. I'm Sabra Lane, coming to you from Nipaluna, Hobart. The Foreign Minister's used a speech in London to warn that all countries must do their bit to prevent a war in the Indo-Pacific region. Penny Wong's warning comes amid increasing tensions between China and the US. As a region, we know the sharp edge of strategic competition. We have experienced our situation becoming more dangerous and more volatile. We must always remember that if conflict were to break out in the Indo-Pacific, it would be catastrophic. Meanwhile, the visiting head of the United States Marine Corps says Australia and his country will need everything in the cupboard to avoid a conflict with China. General David Berger has held talks with military chiefs here but distanced himself from a senior American colleague who's predicted a war with China within two years. Here's Defence Correspondent Andrew Green. There are no permanent US Marine bases or units stationed in Australia, but the Commandant of the US Marine Corps is on his second visit here in just 10 months. My value in coming here at this regular sort of rhythm is to learn, to listen, to learn. General David Berger flew into Darwin where hundreds of US Marines are deployed each year. In Canberra, he's held talks with top military figures where the People's Republic of China is the focus. We are driven by a pacing challenge, which is the PRC. And there will be ebbs and flows in that long-term competition. At a briefing inside the Australian Strategic Policy Institute, the four-star general has discussed those growing military tensions, particularly over Taiwan. My own view is this one is going to take everything in the, in the cupboard to prevent, a, to prevent a conflict. He says America and allies such as Australia need to constantly innovate to deter China. We can't slow down, we can't back off, we can't get comfortable with where we are. Because the risk is then the other side moves a half a step and now you lost the deterrent value that we're after in the first place. His visit coincides with a stark warning from another American general, Air Mobility Commander Mike Minahan, that the US could go to war with China by 2025 because President Xi Jinping is emboldened enough to invade Taiwan. General Berger did not directly address his colleagues' comments but said timelines were hard to predict. We have to be prepared. I don't have a crystal ball. I can't predict because there's too many variables. In the audience for General Berger's presentation was Aspie analyst Dr John Coyne. He says the General's push for new innovative thinking on deterrence is a crucial message. The future involves, and certainly when it comes to deterrence, involves a constantly evolving and rethinking West. And certainly for Australia and the US, that constant evolution is going to be important. There's speculation that when General Berger returns to the US, President Joe Biden could make him the next chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, the nation's highest ranking military officer. Andrew Green reporting there. The Deputy Prime Minister Richard Miles has just held a meeting with the UK's Prime Minister Rishi Sunak as he continues a crucial overseas trip. The Defence Minister is also about to meet his UK counterpart as discussions continue between Australia, the UK and the US about how Canberra can acquire nuclear submarines under the AUKUS deal. Richard Miles spoke with me a short time ago from London. Minister, you've just had a meeting with the UK Prime Minister Rishi Sunak. What did you discuss and did it include the possibility of Australia acquiring British-built nuclear submarines? 
Well, uh, Prime Minister Sunak commented on just how full the agenda is between our two countries uh, and, and how much that is making you know, perhaps our oldest and most historic relationship one which is deeply relevant uh, in, in the contemporary moment. And certainly AUKUS is central to that. Um, and what we're close to an announcement, and I'm not about to preempt that now, but I think what you'll see is when we ultimately do announce the optimal pathway that we've been working on with both the United States and the United Kingdom, that what it really is is a genuinely uh, trilateral effort to see both the UK and the US provide Australia with a nuclear-powered submarine capability. In the US, they're having to do repair work on the dry docks that service nuclear submarines, and there's concern in some American defence circles about the timing of delivering subs. Are you worried about America's capability in getting any potential submarines to Australia? Look, we're confident that what we will be announcing uh, in, in the coming weeks is a is a pathway that will be able to be delivered by all partners on time. Um, and you know, obviously, we are talking about uh, a program which is you know, not measured in, in, in weeks or months, but is actually going to take place over years and decades. And, uh, and it's a very significant capability that is being provided to uh, Australia. But not for a second do we underestimate the challenge that's involved in that, but from, a, from an Australian point of view, of course, in terms of us building our own capacity to uh, build a, a nuclear-powered submarine in Australia, but also uh, the, 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 what America and Britain will be required to do. But in saying that, we're confident that we will be able to meet those challenges. You are also uh, with the new High Commissioner to uh, the UK, Stephen Smith, and he's just finished co-authoring the Defence Strategic Review. Have you got it? Uh, well, uh, we've been we've been very much talking with the the uh, DSR leads, and Stephen uh, has been one of those, and uh, that in turn is is near its completion. Uh, but yeah, we, we that's all on track, and and we will be in a position to announce that in the time frame that we uh, announced back in August. Yesterday, you announced that Australia and France would jointly produce 155mm artillery for Ukraine. I'm just curious to know, when will the first batch of that be delivered? Well, as uh, my counterpart, uh, Minister Sebastian Lacorno in France, said yesterday, uh, the intention is to have the first uh, batch of those delivered to Ukraine uh, within the first quarter of this year. we're being coy about the specifics of this and that's um, for for obvious reasons in terms of protecting that information from the benefit of of Ukraine. But we're talking about thousands of uh, rounds and this represents uh, a commitment on the part of both France and Australia worth millions of dollars and it's a very significant commitment which will help support Ukraine. I think it's a very significant statement of shared intent on the part of both France and Australia to make sure that we are there with Ukraine through the duration of this conflict uh, so that Ukraine is in a position to resolve this conflict on their own terms. And this commitment, is it a gift or a commercial contract? No, it's, it, I mean, we are uh, providing this to Ukraine and we're seeking payment from Ukraine. This is us. Uh, being there to provide that support to Ukraine so that we can uh, make sure that Ukraine is sustained in its effort to resist the unprovoked aggression from Russia. And it's really important that they are able to do that because uh, what Russia has done cannot be allowed to stand. Um, And that's why 
uh, we are there with Ukraine. Later this week, you're also making a lightning visit to the United States for a meeting with the American Defence Secretary Lloyd Austin. Is the AUKUS deal in trouble because of concerns about the US and its submarine building capability? No, but we're, we're, this is uh, the, the AUKUS um, process is very much on track. We're at the you know, the business end of the season, and that's why I'm taking the opportunity to visit Secretary Austin at the end of this week after I will be talking with my counterpart here in the United Kingdom, Ben Wallace. There, there is a lot of work which we are transacting right now to make sure that we're in a position to announce this um, on track, which, which we are. A US general's written a memo warning about a possible war between the US and China in 2025. How alarmed are you by that? The first point to make here is what we seek to do is, is through our diplomacy and through our action reduce tensions within our region and, and, and provide for peace. In, specifically in respect of Taiwan, what that means um, is that we stand for the proposition that there should be no alteration to the status quo uh, across the Taiwan Strait. And we talk about the fact that we face the most complex uh, set of strategic circumstances that we have since the end of the Second World War. And, and, and what that speaks to you know, is a, a, an international environment which is becoming uh, more difficult. So you know, we're, not, we're not sanguine about it. You know, we, we're very uh, prudent in what we're doing and, and, and we are making sure that we can do everything we can to contribute to peace and stability in this moment. Um, now, the starting point of that, we think, is to make sure that we are active in our diplomacy, and that's what we've been doing. But it's also about making sure that we get the hard power equation right from an Australian point of view, and we're doing that as well. Richard Miles, thanks for joining the program. Thanks, Sabra. Deputy Prime Minister and Defence Minister Richard Miles. Australia is imposing fresh sanctions on Iranian security officials in response to serious human rights abuses. But the federal government's also expected to come under pressure to do more, with a Senate committee set to ask it to list Iran's brutal Islamic Revolutionary Guard as a terrorist organisation. Political reporter Noor Haider explains. In Iran, thousands of protesters have been arrested and hundreds of civilians have been killed by security forces in the months since the death of 22-year-old Masa Amini in police custody. Nos Hosseini is a Melbourne-based lawyer and member of the Iranian Women's Association. It's very tough to looking at your social media feed and hearing these stories and feeling so powerless. The organisation has been calling on the Australian government to take stronger action against those responsible for human rights abuses in Iran. We feel that the Australian government could be doing more and needs to do more to show the Iranian regime that it does not approve of the barbaric and systematic discrimination and this systemic violence. The federal government has imposed sanctions on six individuals and two entities involved in the human rights violations and a Senate inquiry that's been examining what other actions could be taken is due to release its report today. Academic and author Dr Kylie Moore-Gilbert, who was detained in Iran for more than two years, says Australia's response so far has been weak and broader sanctions should be applied. There's a lot of potential there to add 
a lot more names to our sanctions list, including some like the current Iranian communications minister, Issa Zarepour, who have strong links to Australia, who've lived in Australia, who likely maintain bank accounts or might even own property in Australia. It's expected the inquiry will recommend that Iran's Islamic Revolutionary Guard be listed as a terrorist organisation. It would make it illegal to be a member of this organisation and to send money in support of this organisation. And unfortunately, we know there are a lot of individuals in Australia who are either Revolutionary Guard members, former members, have even been sent here by Revolutionary Guard affiliates. However, the ABC understands the government doesn't believe the listing is legally possible because the Revolutionary Guard is considered to be a state entity. Committee member Senator Jordan Stiljohn is the Greens' foreign affairs spokesperson. The Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps must be listed uh, as a terrorist organisation. We heard evidence speaking clearly to the reality that it is functioning as a terrorist organisation. And he says many people within the Australian-Iranian diaspora want the government to take a tougher stance. Green Senator Jordan Steele-John ending Noor Haydar's report. Advocates for an Indigenous voice to Parliament say they're worried the No campaign is already damaging the referendum's chances of success. The Voice Referendum Working Group, which is providing advice to the federal government on how to ensure a successful referendum, meets tomorrow. It's a crucial stage, as Oliver Gordon reports. I've got a story to tell you. It's a good one. It's about how these people, the first people, got a voice. Four months on from the launch of the Yes campaign's first TV ads and close to six years after the Uluru Statement from the Heart asked for a First Nations voice to Parliament, backers of the change are calling for more support. It's not just for First Nations communities to kick into gear and say yes now, it's up for all Australians. Pitinjara woman Sally Scales is part of the Voice Referendum Working Group. She's concerned growing calls for a treaty before the voice are misguided. Treaty is a great song. You know, Yothi Indies have made it. It's a great song. It's become more and more of the buzzword where I'm still waiting on the detail for what those treaty process that they're wanting. Um, And I would love to have clarity around that. Indigenous human rights lawyer and academic Hannah McGlade agrees. The expert member of the UN Permanent Forum for Indigenous Issues and associate professor at Curtin University believes a voice would strengthen a national treaty-making process. Across uh, the nation, when we're thinking about a national treaty, We will need a national Indigenous representative body. We will need the voice. So what effect does she think that calls for a treaty rather than a voice are having? No doubt there has been um, uh, some damage, but let's not forget that we actually in the really early days of the campaign and uh, the government's announced a national week of action from February 18 to 24. And uh, we will see a lot more uh, public attention uh, and focus and explanation of what the voice is about. There's also concern that the yes vote is being muffled at the moment by a group of high-profile Indigenous Australians who, along with past and present politicians, have this week begun to coordinate a no campaign. The Liberal Party is yet to come to an official position, but opposition leader Peter Dutton will attend tomorrow's meeting of the Voice Referendum Working Group. Sally Scales will be there too. What this can be about 
him coming to the meeting is actually to hear us and to hear what we're trying to do and hear what the discussions have been. After years of studying Indigenous sovereignty and human rights, Dr Hannah McGlade is hopeful Australians back the voice proposal. I've spent several decades as an Indigenous uh, lawyer specialising in human rights and uh, I I can um, wholeheartedly say that it's a very sound proposal uh, and referendum um, for all Australians to support. And her message to those who are undecided? Don't be on the wrong side of history and don't unwittingly side with those who continue this oppressive and and indeed racist behaviour towards First Nations people. The referendum will be held later this year. Oliver Gordon. It's two years since Myanmar's military seized power in a coup and arrested the country's leader, Aung San Suu Kyi. The Australian government has this morning revealed it's imposing sanctions on military figures, including the country's commander-in-chief. In the meantime, Myanmar's already fragile healthcare system is crumbling and many people are fleeing into neighbouring Thailand seeking medical treatment. And one of those they're seeking help from is an Australian nurse in a Thai border town. Southeast Asia correspondent Mazoe Ford went to meet her. Nurse Kanchana Thornton is hearing a heartbreaking and familiar story. The 62-year-old woman sitting opposite her, Nya Lagu, fled from strife-torn Myanmar to Thailand, desperately seeking medical treatment. There was an airstrike and we started to run and flee. Everyone was running. Someone ran into me and I fell and broke my hip. Ms Thornton is a Thai and Australian citizen who began her nursing career in Sydney. Almost 20 years ago, she set up the Burma Children Medical Fund in the Thai border town of Maysot, a charity for kids on both sides of the border. When patients' needs are too complex for local clinics, Ms Thornton finds hospitals who'll take them, then pays the bills. So because of my background, that what I know and learn from Australia, and I know that if you have good healthcare system, you know, you can get things fixed, treat, and the children can, you know, grow up and have a future. Not long after setting up, she began helping adults too. And since Myanmar's military coup two years ago, her team's workload's been rising. That's because medical help inside Myanmar is hard to find. The perilous journey to Thailand is the best option for those who can make it. We only touch the tip of the iceberg of all the problems that inside. We only can see, we only see able to see the one that have access to come across the border. Human rights groups report that the junta's crackdown on dissent has led to at least 3,000 deaths and many more injuries. On Chor too was an anti-coup protester. One day we were driving to a village and a heavy weapon dropped in front of us and exploded. I felt heat on my arm and then I saw I lost my hand. He fled to Maysot, had surgery at the local hospital and has now come to Ms Thornton's team for a prosthetic arm. It was made on site with donated 3D printers. Myanmar's military rulers have promised to hold elections this year, but few Burmese people believe the vote will be free or fair, and they fear more violence around it. Kanchana Thornton's worried about that too. She wants the international community to do more to help Burmese people, but in the meantime, she'll keep doing her part. Oh, it's, it's devastating what's happening. There will be a lot more work for us, for sure. This is Mazoe Ford in Maysot, reporting for AM. That's AM for today.
Thanks for your company. I'm Sabra Lane. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.